This is Body Count, a horror movie podcast, with your hosts, Trent Scott and Graham Asher. <laughs> everyone and welcome to Body Count, your home for all things creepy, crawly, ghouly, gory, or anything else that goes bump in the night. I am Trent Scott and he is Graham Ashley. Yo, what's up Trent? And welcome back everybody to Body Count. Um, Trent, we're coming off Insidious and we had a special guest cameo from my wife Stephanie who was quite shooketh by Insidious. Um, but she didn't, she doesn't make a cameo in this one, spoiler alert. But we do get to review, I think, probably our most recent film to date, right? With Get yes, Out. Yes, that is correct. The most recent thing we've done so far, all the way from the ancient year of 2017. <laughs> Academy Award winning Get Out as well. Yes, and that is exactly why we're doing the show, because uh, the this episode is dropping on a Friday, of course, and Sunday is the Oscars. Yeah, very timely. I like it. Um, Which, yeah. by the way, you can catch live on ABC. Cheap plug for my employer right there. Little plug for ABC, Disney. Um, is Disney the parent company? Who's the parent, parent, parent company? of Disney, of this? yeah. The Walt Disney, Disney Company. Okay, good deal. Yeah, so uh, Oscars coming up. I don't think there's any horror films um, nominated this year, but this is one of the few. I, I, you went through... All the uh, Academy Award nominated horror films yes, last the, week. The six or seven, depending on if you count uh, Parasite, uh, horror movies that had ever been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And so get out, man. I was excited to review this one. Um, this one. This one's interesting. There's a lot of social commentary. Um, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of looked upon, wouldn't you say it's like a modern kind of a modern day classic in this genre. I mean, it's definitely unique. Um, it's definitely really well done and um, very well received. So, oh, I mean, uh, absolutely. I think it was one of those movies that instantly people recognize, like, this is a movie we're going to be talking about 40 years from now. Like, right. I, I think in the moment, everyone kind of realized what this movie was. And um, we'll get into it later. But from the most unlikely of sources, I might add. Yes, dude, I was totally surprised. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Jordan Peele for sure, but you know he's known for Key and Peele. He's known for comedy. He was on Mad TV, like totally coming out of left field, um, in my opinion, with this one. But he's seemed to kind of jump right into the genre, and he doesn't seem like he's going away anytime soon. Yeah, I remember when before he even made this movie, he was uh, he had a comedy movie that Key and Peele had made together called. Keanu. Keanu. I loved Keanu. Uh, I am a Bill Simmons fan, sports fans. You might be aware who Bill Simmons is. They were on Bill Simmons podcast promoting Keanu. And I remember Jordan Peele at the time mentioning, oh yeah, hey, I'm uh, I'm directing a horror movie that's coming out uh, next year. And uh, that turned out to be this film. And I remember at the yeah. time thinking, it's like, oh, that's weird. Jordan Peele's directing a horror movie. And well, uh, not so weird anymore, but that's, uh, we'll get into more detail about that later. Absolutely. So Trent, we always start out with your one sentence synopsis about Get Out. So I'm really excited to hear this one. All right. This is more of advice than a synopsis. (laughs) 
Don't rush to meet your girl's parents. All right. Short and sweet. I like it. Oh, I like it. Um, make, yeah, make let's sure she's the, Make sure she's the one first. There's no need to worry. You know, yeah. you know, a skeleton she's got in her closet. How well, or photos. And we'll talk about that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. How well do you know the person that you're going to go meet the family? Um, might be something you could ask after this one. So with that in mind, Graham, are you ready to jump into the full review? I'm totally ready. All right. So the movie opens and uh, uh, let's actually, before we do this. Okay. There, this is a very, you can't talk about this movie without talking about race, right? So mm-hmm. just throwing that out there. This is going to be, there, there's probably gonna be some uncomfortable conversation here. Uh, if that's not your thing. No sweat. We'll catch you next time. Um, totally understand that. It's not my favorite topic in the world either as a, you know, a young, you know, relatively young white, white male. Sometimes, you know, things aren't yeah. necessarily the most comfortable f- for folks like me, but uh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to deal with this as head on as we can here. So just a disclaimer I right like there, that. we're going to be talking about race a lot. Um, so, and I was like, I told you off, off mic, I was like, I'm going to try to avoid the social commentary, but you're right. I mean, we can't avoid it. Yeah. It's, it's part of the movie. And so like, like I said, I, you know, I'm a white guy, Graham, you're, you're half Hispanic. Um, so that's right. Um, we're both bringing different perspectives to this film and, and neither of those perspectives happen to be the same perspective as the filmmaker. So I, I think we have a, a, a fairly balanced look at, at what we're going to be tackling today. So with that in mind, uh, let's just jump straight into it. So the movie opens up. Uh, we see an African American guy uh, walking down the street. He's trying to find some place, and he, he, he's kind of lost. And then uh, there's a white car that drives by, and then pulls a Yui, kind of follows him, and he looks back, and the car stopped right behind him. And he's like, "Oh man, I don't want to deal with this tonight." So he right. turn, turns around, he walks in the other direction, he looks back, the car's still parked, but now the driver door is standing wide open and he's like oh no and about that point a mass dude puts him in a chokehold and loads him up in the trunk and we see opening credits yeah we're off we're definitely off to an interesting start uh people getting snatched up in the suburbs already um yeah it so it's a very affluent looking neighborhood um really nice area like you said would be the suburbs He's talking on the phone, seems uncomfortable. Um, and I'm sure that's happened to a lot of people being followed around. We see this a lot on the news where people are like, hey, do you belong in this neighborhood type of stuff? So he was just trying to, to exit, but that's not that. Also worth pointing out that he is clearly talking to his girlfriend uh, on the yes. phone. You know, he, he's like, you know, uh, see you later, baby, or whatever. But anyway, uh, that's the last we see of him. For now. For now. So then, uh, after the opening credits, we meet our two leads, Chris, played by Daniel Kaluuya, and his girlfriend, Rose, portrayed by Allison Williams, daughter of Brian Williams, famous news anchor. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have any commentary there. Sorry, Trent. I was going <laughs> to say something. But, but, um, but yeah, we get, to, we get to meet Chris and Rose. They seem like a nice couple together. She's picking up some breakfast um he's going through some of his photos all seems well yes and we see chris is packing a bag and we find out they are in fact going to meet rose's parents and he is packing a bag for the weekend 
And he asked them, now, honey, do they know <laughs> I'm black? She's like, no, sh- sh- uh, why sh- you know, do they need to? And he's like, well, we should probably give them a heads up. And she assures him, look, my parents aren't racist. They would have voted for Obama a third time if they could have. Yeah, I mean, you got to understand his concern here. Um, unfortunately, we aren't really beyond this type of thing. Um, you know, where some people may look down on interracial relationships. Um, he, you know, has a concern, doesn't want to throw them off. I don't know. We, But we get it. We get why he's concerned. <laughs> it also seems like he may have been in a couple of uncomfortable situations like this before. Yes, absolutely. But she's just like, no, no way. Um, totally cool. They're going to be fine with it. But that's all. That's Rose, man. All right. So from there, they are in the car. They are driving. And Chris gets a phone call from his buddy, Rod, played by Laurel How- Howery. Um, and not, not much to this phone call, just some uh, character building. We get to meet Rod, who will become much more important later. Yeah. Love Rod from the very beginning. He is, uh, he's super funny. Um, yeah, Rod's going to have a lot to do in this later. So then, uh, oh, it's, I should note that Rose is driving and she runs into a deer. So, and, and this comes out of nowhere. Uh, is this one of the jump scares that catch you, Graham? Yeah, I mean, jump scares always get me. This one I was like, oh gosh. But I was like really relieved that it was just a deer <laughs> at this point. Um so, uh, so Chris gets out, he goes, he sees, finds the deer is dead. And then we cut to a scene where a cop has pulled up um, and he's examining the car and they make it clear that Rose was driving, but he insists on seeing Chris's license. And Chris is like, well, I don't have a license. I got a state ID. And he's, Chris goes to hand him the ID and Rose is like, no, I told the cop, I told you I was driving. You don't need to see his license. And the cop's like, well, you know, in situations, and she's like, no, nah, I don't want to hear it. No. You don't need to see his ID. He wasn't driving. And so the cop relents and lets them go. Yeah. And all seems like Rose is being very protective over Chris, kind of knowing. Um, I don't know. Do, do they tell us exactly where this is? I'm, I'm assuming. I know that they filmed this in the South, but. Yes, yeah, um, it's filmed in Alabama. Right. So I know they were driving down from the city. So I don't know if they made it particularly clear I, where I don't they think are. They, they, they ever pinpointed an actual city or town. Yeah, but um, she's obviously protective over him. And you kind of get a glimpse into um, a little bit about, you know, why the police would be, would, would need his identification. Would, would that be happening? You're kind of led to think if he wasn't black. Yes. And so they get back in the car and Chris is like, hey, that was, that was sexy. And she's like, oh, I'm going to stand up for my man. Yeah. So. Go Rose. For now. For now. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, they arrive to Rose's parents' house. Uh, they make their greetings. And as they're walking inside, we get this creepy shot from behind. We can't see the guy's face, but we see there's like a, a creepy black dude looking on. Okay. So immediately, like the shot is panning away, right? And yeah, we get that creepy shot of the black dude, but we can hear like the parents meeting Chris, uh, the dad goes straight for a hug. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like, it's just, it seems like they are very okay with the situation. Um, and I get so cringed out here during all of this stuff. So anyway. And as they're making, you know, as they're, you know, talking and getting to know each other, we hear it 
this time from Rose's dad, Dean, played by Bradley Whitford. Hey, man, you know, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could have. Yeah, he drops that line real quick. Um, just so much cringe going on. I mean, Bradley Whitford, he's just nailing the, you can tell that he's trying a little bit too hard to be cool with Chris, um, saying things like my man and um, yes. just, just kind of being a little bit interesting. <laughs> We also meet um, Rose's mother, Missy, played by Catherine Keener. Really and, great cast. Sorry, I got to pause, but Bradley yes. Whitford, Kath, Catherine Keener, um, they're excellent. So, And Bradley Whitford is looking at Chris and says, you're jonesing for a cigarette, aren't you? And Chris is like, yeah, is it that obvious? And Dean suggests, hey, you know, Missy actually does some hypnotherapy. You should let her hypnotize you. And Chris is like, mm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Get out. Get out, Chris. This is the first time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, okay, how would you react? Um, hypnosis kind of creeps me out. So do you believe hypnosis is a real thing? I kind of, okay, so I'm always on the fence for this. Like, I'm one of those people that's like, there's no way that it would work on me. But like, have you ever seen the video of the hypnotist at the UT Austin football uh, for the football team? I have not. Okay, you got to look up that up. Um, it's insane. This this hypnotist goes in, and they're at like the UT football screening room, and he's going in just putting people to sleep, making them do weird stuff. So like that that makes me think it can be real. So I don't know. What do you think? I'm generally a skeptic with uh, with most things. I don't know. I would I would have to see something in front of me to actually buy it. You know what I mean? Right. I'm going to send you a link to that video. And um, <laughs> so, so Trent and I are, are also sports guys. This isn't a sports podcast. Anyway, you're going to appreciate that because I know you like UT football. So anyway. Well, speaking of sports, Rose's brother, Jeremy, shows up at dinner time and he starts talking to Chris and, you know, they ask him, oh, what's your sport? Football, baseball? And Chris is like, oh, you know, I like basketball. And then Jeremy asks him, well, what about mixed martial arts? Are you an MMA fan? And Chris says, you know, me like the UFC, that stuff's too brutal for me. And Caleb, or excuse me, Caleb is the actor. Jeremy uh, starts to get real uncomfortable as he kind of intimidates Chris and starts talking about jujitsu and he wants to show him a hold, uh, but Dean won't let him. And this is a weird dinner. It is a weird dinner. Um Jeremy's a little aggressive, just his whole demeanor, the way he looks at Chris, the way he talks to him. Um, yeah. And like you said, he, he, he's like jumping up to try to put him in like a chokehold and something. Um, I don't like Jeremy right now. <laughs> yeah, no, he's the, he's definitely the one that's standing out right now. Um, so they finish up dinner. They make their way back up to the room. Oh, I forgot one important detail. As, uh, as they were making their introductions and walking him through the house, uh, Dean and Missy, you see, are very well off. This is a very nice house. And they have employees, servants, if you will. And Chris can't help but notice every single one of them is black. Yeah, and that's bad optics, um, obviously. And Dean mentions that. He's like, I know what you're thinking here. You know, white family, black employees or black servants or black workers. And um, yeah, so they state the obvious. And it's definitely noticeable. 
So anyway, so back upstairs, uh, Rose apologizes to Chris for how everyone acted, you know, Jeremy being weird. Uh, Missy was kind of rude to Georgina, who was one of the uh, maids, I guess you'd say. And all in all, it was just a weird dinner. So Rose is like, oh, you know, we'll get through this weekend. Yeah. And Chris is like, he's pretty relaxed about it. It's indicating that he's pretty used to this kind of behavior. Um, You know, she even states like, Jeremy's never acted that way with my other boyfriends. And my dad was this way. And Chris is just like, yep, I know. I get it. (laughs) So uh, now we see it's the middle of the night. Chris wakes up and he's just got to get that smoke in. So (laughs) he makes his way outside to light up. And as he's getting ready to smoke that cigarette, all of a sudden, one of the groundskeepers comes charging at him on a dead sprint. I mean, he is at the NFL combine trying to run a (laughs) 440. And he is charging. And Chris is like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And then at the last second, the guy hooks her right and keeps going. Brent, dude, do you remember – so this became a challenge called the Get Out Challenge. Do you remember this? I do not remember this. <laughs> okay, I didn't either, but like I looked it up. It was definitely a challenge. So it was basically, uh, during that time, you guessed it, you would sprint at somebody full speed and then change directions at the last second. Um, not sure how much it caught on, like you said. Like I said, <laughs> you and I hadn't heard of it. Um, but anyway, it, it spawned a little Get Out Challenge there. Interesting. <laughs> so... Chris goes to make his way back inside and he runs into Missy. Missy is in the drawing room and she insists, Hey, you know, come sit down and talk to me for a little bit. And Missy happens to have a cup of tea in her hand mm-hmm. and this would become very important. <laughs> so they start talking and Missy says, tell me about your mom. And then she says, where were you when she died? Now, how does she know that Chris's mom is dead? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I thought he might have mentioned it a, a little bit earlier, but said he didn't want to talk about it when they were sitting outside. Nevertheless, she's she's some kind of, uh, they, they state that she's a psychiatrist and yeah. a psychotherapist. So yeah, she's trying to draw out these emotions and it's really getting to Chris pretty quickly. So she is like using her spoon to like, tap on the teacup and we see it's slowly starting to affect Chris. And she's like, you know, where were you? And he begins to tell her, you know, I was watching TV and it was raining and she's like, find the rain. And we see Chris, you know, kind of reverting back to the memory of when he was a child watching TV on this rainy night. And she eventually, you know, she makes Chris relive the memory of his mother's death. And Chris is like, is in this chair. He's we, we see tears streaming down his cheeks. He's like yeah. grip, gripping the arms as tight as he possibly can. And he's like, I'm paralyzed. Why can't I move? And she tells him, now sink into the floor. And all of a sudden, whew, we see Chris like drop into outer space. But it's like <laughs> it's like uh like with like a TV monitor where you can kind of where you can still see Missy, but he's no longer in control here. And she Dude, tells it's him, super Twilight Zone, right? Yes, very much so. Which and Jordan Peele would also go on to uh, <laughs> to recreate. <laughs> exactly. But that's what I was thinking. Yeah, like, would you describe it as like some kind of void space floating down into the ocean kind of thing almost? 
Well, she tells him, now you're in the sunken place. So that, that is what this place is called, the sunken place. And we will find out more about the sunken place later. But this is like an acid trip gone wrong. And then all of a sudden, Chris wakes up. He's in bed. It's the next morning. And everything seems to be fine. Except he looks over and someone has unplugged his phone from the charger. Yeah, that's not cool, man. You got to have your phone charged. So now Chris, who is a photographer, decides to go outside and snap some pictures when he happens to see the guy who, like, chased him down the night before, Walter. So he decides to go and approach Walter. And what follows is, shall we say, bizarre. In fact, it's so bizarre, I think we need to play it for our listeners. What's up, man? Working you good out here, huh? Nothing I don't want to be doing. Yeah. They didn't get to meet you, actually, up close. I'm Chris. I know who you are. She is lovely, isn't she? Rose? Here she is. One of a kind. Top of the line. A real doggone keeper. Sorry about last night. What? My exercise. I didn't mean to scare you. Yeah. Yeah. And did it work? It will work. You were in Mrs. Armitage's office for quite some time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I had too much of that wine last night. Can't really remember, so. <laughs> mind my own business so you hear walter conclude by saying you know he has to mind his own business giving chris you know a very not so subtle hint to let it go it's a super strange interaction just his mannerisms the way that he speaks everything um if chris wasn't already uncomfortable he's even more uncomfortable now yes and also worth noting walter whether it be on purpose or, or not, reveals to Chris, well, did it work? He's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you were in, uh, you were in uh, Missy's chambers for a, a long time last night. Did, she, did, did the hypnosis work? Yeah. And we go back inside, and Chris reveals, in fact, two rows, the hypnosis did work, that uh, Missy did hypnotize him, and now the thought of cigarettes makes him sick. Yeah, so, and he's... He's just, he had crazy dreams the night before he said, he's just, he's just feeling all just strange, obviously. And we find out it's time for the big family reunion. Um, so we see a huge group of cars, uh, you know, pull up. And of course it's, uh, it's a bunch of old white folks. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a convoy of like all black cars. Um, they, they, it almost looks like a funeral procession really, doesn't it? Um, yeah, but a bunch of rich looking old white people just start, just start piling out of the cars. <laughs> so Rose and Chris make their way outside to start greeting people. 
And the first couple they talk to are the Greens. And Mr. Green asked Chris, hey, can you golf? And Chris said, you know, I tried once, but I wasn't that good. And Mr. Green reveals, well, I used to be a pro for, for many years, but I just can't move my hip the way I used to. But hey, I know Tiger. Yes, dude. This is not a party I would want to be invited to. Um, these people are acting weird. It's almost like they're sizing him up, Very gauging much him so. about his, his physical attributes and such, wanting to get to know weird, just weird facts about him and yes. kind of grabbing on him and all this stuff. It's just super weird. So Chris bounces around a series of three or four of these conversations like what he had with the Greens until from a distance he spots another black guy. So he goes up and says, hey, it's great to see another brother here. Uh, my name's Chris. And this guy turns out to be very much like Walter. We find out his name is Logan. And he is also weird as hell. Yeah, super weird. I mean, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but just just so strange. I mean, yeah, he, he's like, all right, I got a familiar face around here. He's young. He's about my age. Another black guy. We're going to have something in common. And the that's not the case (laughs) because we actually find out that logan is married you see to a white woman about 30 years older than he is yeah and i mean it's almost like he's the token black guy at the party right very much so so uh chris wanders off again and he finally stumbles into somebody he gets along with he runs into Jim Hudson. Uh, Jim Hudson, you see, he's a blind man, but he just so happens to be an art dealer. And he's a fan of Chris's work. Now, how does that work, you say? How can a blind man be a fan of photography? Well, his assistant describes the pictures in great detail to him, and he really thinks Chris has a special set of eyes. Yeah, something that he's lacking, obviously. Um, Yeah, Jim, played by the great, great Stephen Root. Um, Super... You would know him if you saw him, if you don't know him by name. Character actor throughout the years. Um, he's in Barry. If you've seen Barry, Barry's amazing. Um, but yeah, Stephen Root. So um, and, and probably the most normal interaction Chris has had at this point. Yes, this is a genuinely friendly conversation. And so Chris eventually makes his way back inside. And he, ha- he heads upstairs. And as soon as he gets upstairs, we see everyone that was downstairs stops talking and stares up at him like, what's going on? Yeah, super creepy. Um, yeah, the entire, like, literally, like, you've seen those scenes where, like, the record scratches and, like, everybody's yes. silent. Like, it's exactly what happens. Yeah, and they're all just, like, you can hear his footsteps up there, and they're all just kind of, like, monitoring his movements. Um, something is afoot, friend. Yes. So Chris makes his way back to his room with uh, Rose, and wouldn't you know it, somebody's gone and unplugged his phone again. Again, okay, first time could have been an accident, but the second time, something's going, going on, on here. So Chris reveals to Rose, hey, I think that creepy maid Georgina might be doing this. And she's like, oh, you want me to say something to my dad? And Chris, not wanting to get somebody in trouble, is like, nah, nah, you can just let it go. But then Rose leaves the room and... uh he, even though his phone is not fully charged, he does still have some battery left. So he calls up Rod, his buddy. And yeah, he's got to check in with Rod, see how his dog's doing, because uh, Rod is his dog sitting for him, and um, and he just 
probably just wants to talk to a friend at this point, yes. right? <laughs> yes. So he tells Rod, like, this kind of weird stuff that's been going on with the hypnosis and whatever. And Rod's like, dude, Missy is putting people in trances. Like, that's what's going on with the black folk. Like, they're all <laughs> under some kind of spell. Yeah, he goes on this really funny rant about Jeffrey Dahmer. And, um, yeah, he's like, those black people probably hypnotized. Um I mean, Rod is obviously the comic relief. I mean, you're kind of, you're, it's a very welcome relief at this point because this movie is pretty weird. Um, but yeah, you got to love Rod. Rod's just, he's great. He's my, he's my dude. So um, he finishes up the phone call with Rod and here comes Georgina. And Georgina wants to apologize for unplugging his phone and tells him, oh, you know, it was an accident. I was, I was sweeping or whatever. And I, you know, I accidentally, unplugged it and i didn't want to mess with it any further so i i didn't put it back on and uh i see that was a mistake and i'm sorry and chris is like okay yeah um i wasn't trying to snitch she says and she looks at him puzzled like she doesn't know what snitch means and he's like one trying to rat you out she still didn't say it yes see it then she's like oh tattletale yes oh no and she has kind of like a little breakdown like very, yes. very peculiar. Yeah, she's like crying through a laugh and then repeats the word no, 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 no. Um, just another just super weird interaction with these people. <laughs> so Chris makes his way back outside and he's got his camera again. And he takes a picture of Logan. And all of a sudden, Logan, his whole personality changes. He gets a nosebleed. And he yells repeatedly to Chris, get out, get out. And Chris is like, what's going on? And everybody swarms and they take Logan back inside and Missy rehypnotizes him. And he goes back to being weird old Logan. Yeah. And they, they explain it away as it's a type of seizure. Um, you know, Logan's back to his selfies. Like, Oh, I imagine I've, I've given you guys quite a fright. Uh, things like that. Um, probably my time to leave the party. Um, but Chris isn't believing that. You see Chris in a private conversation with Rose, literally out in the woods, as we're in a very secluded location. Uh, Chris reveals to Rose, look, my cousin has epilepsy. That was not a seizure. I know what a seizure looks like. And as this conversation's going on, we cut back and forth to some kind of auction going on being led by dean yeah what kind of effed up game are these old white people playing at this point man they're like yeah it's definitely they're bidding an option they're 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 having an auction they're bidding on something we don't we have hasn't been revealed quite yet they're holding up bingo cards to uh indicate their interest in um the item they are purchasing and what do we see on display there trent well we see a picture of Chris and Hudson, our good friend, the art dealer is the winning bidder. What's going on here? What's going on here? Indeed. It's super creepy. So they're like, also what to me, what adds to this just odd scene, obviously, and kind of frightening is they're doing it in complete silence. Yes. When we say silent auction, we mean a silent auction. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, But there is a little bit of a round of applause for our buddy um, Jim Hudson, who has the winning bid on Chris. Yes. 
So we cut back to Chris and Rose in the woods and Chris tells Rose, Hey, you know, like, I really want to leave. Like, this is too weird for me. And then he breaks down. And for the first time he tells her the full story of how his mother died. And he, he tells the story of, you know, she got hit by a car and I didn't do anything. I just sat there. And if I would have looked for her, you know, maybe we could have saved her because she bled out for hours because nobody was looking for her. And Rose. Yeah. Is- I mean, he's a young kid and you got to feel for him, right? Like, you know, going through that moment, I'm sure he's played that out a long, long time in his head, but he didn't know what to do. He just kept watching TV. He said, um, yeah. And uh, get a little more insight in there. Yes. This big sentimental breakthrough causes Rose to say, okay, yeah, we can, we can leave. And, you know, they kiss and make up. They say, I love you, which kind of seemed like yes. might have been the first time they said a real Dawson's Creek type of moment <laughs> by the lake here. <laughs> I don't want to wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, so they make their way back inside. They start packing up. And Chris, uh, he had made an offhanded comment to Rose out in the woods when they were talking about the whole situation with uh, Logan that he knows that guy. Like he, he recognizes him from somewhere. So Chris, with the last little bit of his battery still hanging on, sends the pick that he took of Logan that set the whole chain of events off. He sends it to Rod and he calls up Rod and Rod, is Rod like, calls him. Yeah. Rod calls him immediately. Like, yo, oh. that's Andre Haysworth. We know that dude. He used to date so-and-so. Yeah. And Chris is like, yes, I knew I knew that guy. Um, what the heck is he doing out here? And why didn't he recognize me? And why is he acting weird? Yeah. And why is his name Logan all of a sudden? Yeah, and Rod like, is like, dude, you're about to become some kind of mind-controlled sex slave. Like, you need to get out of there. <laughs> and his phone dies. That's dang it. it. Chris's one connection to the outside world, gone. Yeah, I mean, a charged phone is would, would come in really handy at this point. Very um, much so. So... So yeah, at this point, he's like, I got to get the F out of here and quickly. So Rose comes back in the room. He's like, babe, we got to go and we got to go now. She's like, yeah, okay, okay. Let me go find the keys. I can't find the keys. So Chris is looking around and he sees the door to her closet is slightly ajar. And so he goes to look and he discovers a stash of old pictures. And he's looking through the pictures and hey, there's a picture of her with Walter and here's one of her with Georgina and not just any pictures. You see these pictures strongly imply that they were in relationships and she had told him earlier that he, he was her first black boyfriend and that doesn't appear to be the case as there are several, several uh, guys in this collection. Yes. He's you're exactly right. She had mentioned that he would, he was the first black guy black boyfriend that she's had um just tons of pictures of her coupled up with uh different young black men um and one with georgina looking like they're old pals but obviously walter and georgina are their you know employees so how could that be so chris uh, so, so Rose, uh, I should say, Rose makes her way back in the room. Chris quickly discards the pictures. Um, you know, it seems that Rose 
didn't see. And he's like, okay, we got to go. And she's like, I still can't find the keys. He's like, okay, you know, look in your purse. Like, let's walk and talk. Let's go. Let's go. So they make their way downstairs. She still can't find the keys. And then Dean stops him and says, what's your purpose in life, Chris? And this whole weird conversation starts. Yeah, it's almost like they're like getting closer and closer to him, right? Yes. Like they're the closing in on him. Missy's there, Jeremy's there, and of course Rose, still looking for those gosh darn keys, mm-hmm. uh, is on the staircase and Chris is freaking out and Rose... Yeah, he's getting more and more like, get the keys, Rose, get the keys. He's losing his composure because he's yes. trying really cool to be like, oh, we're just, we're just leaving, uh, nothing to see here. Um, but he's he's at his wits end now, and he's he's just yelling. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden, Rose goes, you know, I can't give you the keys, and snaps back. The crying was all fake. She's been leading him on this whole time, and now Chris realizes, uh-oh. <laughs> I got you, Rose. We thought you were on our side. But look, I got to say, after discovering that stash of pictures, how could Chris possibly still believe Rose was on his side? I mean, he he doesn't, I don't think, but he's just really, really holding on to the fact that they are, in fact, in love, maybe. Um, I don't know. Like, he, you got to be freaking out. I, I mean, I'm thinking the same thing, like, but Jeremy's blocking the door. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess it's really his only hope is that. Yeah, his maybe, only hope is to yeah. play it cool for a little while longer. But nope. And so Missy, with that teacup, steps him back into the sunken place. He drops like a rock, and Caleb grabs his uh, KO'd body. We'll eventually find out downstairs. We cut back. Rod now Googles Andre Haysworth, uh, the guy that they recognize in the picture, and he finds out, man, he's been missing for six months. Uh-oh. This is setting off all the alarms for Rod here. So Chris now wakes up he's downstairs in like the uh a basement or whatever yeah it's like a basement kind of game room right there's yeah. like ping pong and darts and stuff in there seems like and, a fun hangout <laughs> yeah and he is uh he's tied to a chair and a video starts to play in this old uh tv in front of him and it is the patriarch of the armitage family explaining that uh, you know african americans you've had the advantage of athletic genes and you know all this kind of weird stuff and uh, yes and now it's our turn and then there's something about coagula yeah behold the coagula reads across the screen and chris is still in a trance from the hypnosis and when it says behold the coagula he looks up, there's like a deer head mounted on the wall, and he like stares intently into the deer's eyes. Okay, so let me preface this by saying I am making a joke, but, you know, when have white people had the advantage, Trent? When, when, when is it our of, turn? <laughs> yes. When is when it my is, turn? I mean, come on here. Just um, jokes, people, just jokes. Just, just jokes. Um but yeah, and and okay, so that old video, that old TV is playing with that video, and like you said, the patriarch of the family, and you see like a young, um, a young Dean, a young Missy, and then Jeremy and Rose are like really young too, and it's it's like how long has this been going on? Oh, 
and we should also say this is very important in the video um mr armitage reveals that they've uh figured out how to transmutate uh which we will see in action here in a little bit yeah they show like uh like a butterfly leaving the cocoon and so it's just like a lot of yes. weird imagery here <laughs> so we cut back to rod now rod has gone to the police and he lays out his whole theory that <laughs> the white folks have kidnapped Chris and all these other black people and that they're brainwashing them and turning them into sex slaves. <laughs> and the police flatly laugh him off. Oh man, Rod is so funny here. Um, yeah, little Ray Howery stealing the show for me. Um, yeah, as you would, it seems like this, <laughs> this crazy, crazy explanation that Rod had is in his head. But I mean, you gotta say Trent, you and I have been friends for, what has it been? Maybe 10 years now. You yep. gotta love the fact that Rod's going to bat for his boy here, right? <laughs> I mean, we are we are in the deep end of the pool, and Rod is still swimming. Yeah, so good for you, Rod. Trying to find your trying to find your buddy, um, trying to get him safe. So now back at home, after the police have brushed him off, Rod desperately calls Chris's phone, and this time somebody answers, but it's not Chris. Oh no, it is Rose. And Rod's like, "Yo, where's Chris?" And she's like what he left two days ago and we see uh her, her she has we see she has a completely blank expression on her face but she is using her voice in like a very distressed yes. upset way like you would expect in the if this whole situation was real so she is incredibly cold and calculating dude she is a psychopath yeah like you said her face is completely blank but she's giving these emotions to Rod. Um, she proceeds to, she can see that Rod's, you know, obviously super concerned and getting to something. She starts playing a different card though, doesn't she? Well, Rod, it's like, hey, hang on a second, Rose. And he's like, he's like holding away from the phone. Like, you lying. I know you lying. <laughs> he's like, I'm yeah. going to record you. So he sets up, he, he, he sets up his laptop to record. He turns the phone on to speaker and Rose is like, look, Rod, I know what you're really calling for. He's like, I'm calling about Chris. He says, he's like, no, you want to do me. <laughs> yeah, basically, you're just, I see the way you look at me. Um, I know you want to sleep with me. Um, that's putting it in yes. PG words. Um, and Rod is like, no, dang it, Rose. That's <laughs> <laughs> so Rose completely uh, flips Rod's plan on him, and uh, it does not work out. Yeah, he's like, you evil genius. <laughs> so, meanwhile, back downstairs, uh, Chris, still tied to the chair, and another video starts playing, and this time, it's a live chat. Live chat with who? Well, that lucky auction winner, of course, Jim Hudson. And uh, Jim reveals that there's three stages to the transmutation process, and in fact, mm -hmm. let's hear those three stages, shall we? Let's do it. Phase one was the hypnotism. That's how they sedate you. Phase two is, is this, mental preparation. It's basically a psychological pre-op. Pre-op. Or phase three, the transplantation. Well, partial, actually, the piece of your brain connected to your nervous system needs to stay put, keeping those intricate connections intact. So you won't be gone 
not completely a sliver of you will still be in there somewhere limited consciousness you'll be able to see and hear what your body is doing but your existence will be as a passenger an audience you'll live in a certain place so there you go jim explains that it's very important that chris understand the procedure in order for it to work to its full effect and unfortunately chris gets it all right yeah he gets it he understands that he will be um i don't want to say delegated but he will be living in this sunken place that we know looks extremely terrifying yes um, permanently yeah and you know he he asks like why are you doing this to black people and and Jim is like, it doesn't matter um, that you're He's black. Like, I'm, don't don't look, don't group me with all the others. I don't care about your skin. I care about your eyes. Right, because obviously, being blind and an art dealer, he thinks that um, with Chris's body and his in his um, ability to see, then he can you know fulfill his I guess life's work and and you know go back to being some kind of great artist and all that good stuff. So, so. We see Dean uh, begins to prep Hudson for surgery, and uh, the surgery, the transmutation, appears to be some kind of like brain transplant of some sort. As he cuts, uh, cuts the—I mean, he basically scalps Jim. Yeah. Um, yeah. But- so yeah, he kind of—it's it, definitely some kind of brain transplant. And Jim kind of explains that, like, the part that they don't detach is like the brain stem that's connected to your spinal. Because yeah. obviously that would that would kill you, kill you instantly. <laughs> and yes. yeah, so uh, so anyway, I mean, I don't know the science behind this surgery. It seems pretty far fetched, but anyway, you don't say, Graham. <laughs> so meanwhile, Chris has managed to. Uh, oh, I should say, Chris is still sitting in the chair. Jeremy comes in to get Chris ready for the surgery, and Chris. Turns out to be smarter than your average bear. And you see, Chris has managed to break free. And he attacks Jeremy. And actually, it looks like he killed him. Uh, he's got this, like, uh, like this, like, ball. And he's, like, bludgeoning. Yeah, it's a bocce ball. <laughs> yeah. He's bludgeoning uh, Jeremy over the head. And he leaves Jeremy in a pool of blood. But don't ring that bell yet, because there's more to come. Yeah, so, so Chris he realizes on the TV screen earlier, it shows that same teacup clicking and it puts him unconscious again. Um, he, as he wakes up before Jeremy comes in, he's kind of clawing at um, the chair and he, we don't know what he's going to do, but he notices that some of the stuffing of the chair has come out. So he has managed to put that stuffing in his ears to later on when that teacup hits, click, 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 he doesn't hear it. So it doesn't knock him out. Yep. Giving him the upper hand to bash the heck out of Jeremy, which was very satisfying. Wish we could ring that bell, but not quite yet. Not quite yet. But next thing we see is Dean hears the commotion. So he's standing out in the hallway and Chris has taken the deer's head off the wall and <laughs> impales him with it and ring that bell. That's number one. Boom. Body count number one. Um, you know, Dean did say earlier that he didn't like deer. So he, uh, <laughs> That deer ended up getting the best of him there. So 
a heck of a heck of a kill here. And yeah, really cool. Very similar to uh, Insidious. We are very deep into this film before we get our first kill. But unlike Insidious, there's going to be a lot more to follow. Yes. Um, yeah, it took us about, let's see, an hour 15, hour 20 to get our first body count here. And it was a satisfying one, I'll tell you that much. Very satisfying. So now Chris makes his way upstairs. He's spotted by Georgina, who takes off running. Now here comes Missy and uh, Chris sees the teacup. They like it's right in the middle of them. They take off running for it, and uh, they they get together. And Missy has like a knife, and she tries to stab him with it. But Chris reverses it, stabs Missy. Ring that bell. That's number two. Body count number two. Uh, you're not so big without your little teacup, are you, Missy? <laughs> so then Chris is making his way to the door. When out of nowhere, here comes <laughs> the ghost of Christmas Pass. Jeremy jumps him from behind, puts him in a chokehold. Chris is like fading, but he's like up against the door and he manages to slam Jeremy. He fights out and uh, he uh, he like, it's like a fist fight. And then eventually he stops Jeremy in the face. Ring that bell. That's number three. Oh, Jeremy gets the boot, body count number three. Um, yeah, totally stomped him out. And another very satisfying, very satisfying. body count right there. Dude, also, that's three in like in like three minutes. We haven't had any. Yes. Yeah, we, we hadn't um, had any in, in the first hour and a half almost. Yes. So also worth mentioning is Chris set the uh set the basement on fire as he left. So now the house is like scorching behind him, and we cut upstairs to Rose who is looking at some guys on the internet, but has her headphones on and doesn't hear any of this commotion going on. So Chris eventually finds some car keys. He gets in the car. He starts to drive off. He's calling the cops. It's like, Hey, I'm at the Armitage house. There's some stuff going on. And he runs over Georgina. Okay. I have to backtrack just for one second. Okay. So we mentioned that Rose is upstairs with headphones on this is like Hannibal Lecter level creepy to me, Trent. Okay, so first of all, she's listening to the song from Dirty Dancing. I know that because my wife and I watch that movie several times a year because it's her favorite. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Dirty Dancing actually holds up. Good movie. She's eating cereal like a freaking psychopath, Trent. Let me explain. She has like Fruit Loops that she is eating like one by one very slowly <laughs> with a glass of milk and a straw that she's drinking. Like who eats cereal that way? You Perfectly normal. Psycho. Perfectly normal. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, I just had to get that in there that um, Rose, look, you creep me out. <laughs> so all the crazy stuff going on downstairs, Rose doesn't hear anything. Outside, Chris runs over Georgina and this gets her attention. Yeah, it gets her attention. And, you know, Chris stops the car and that's where that backstory of how his mother died comes into play. Yep. right? And he's fighting with himself like, man, I shouldn't do it, but he just can't help himself. He picks up Georgina. He puts her in the car. He's going to take her to safety. And we see about this point, Rose comes out of the house with a shotgun and she's firing away. So Chris tries to drive off. And she saw Chris put Georgina in the car and she yells, Grandma! What? I just wrote WTF. <laughs> yeah. Turns out uh, the matriarch, Mrs. Armitage, is in fact Georgina. Her so, grandma. Like, yes. Yes. Just, ugh. 
So Georgina wakes up in the passenger seat of the car. She's like, you ruined my house. And she starts slapping him, which causes Chris to crash headfirst into a tree, killing Georgina. Ring that bell. That's number four. Yeah, never attack somebody while they're driving, okay? Especially Especially when you're the passenger. You stand just as much to lose as they do. Yeah, and you're not buckled up. So not a smart move by uh, Grandma, Georgina, whoever the heck it is. Um, But yeah, that reveal there was like, oh, S. (laughs) Like, now this is what's going on. Yes. So now here comes Georgina with a shotgun. She's closing in on Chris. And now here comes Walter, a.k.a. Grandpa. Yeah, she's like, get him, Grandpa. Um, he's doing that full 40-yard dash sprint again. Um, Chris is just barely limping away. And uh, Grandpa Walter tackles Chris to the ground. But Chris has one more trick up his sleeve because, you see, Chris has his camera, and he takes a picture of Walter, which causes Walter to snap out of his state. But Rose doesn't see this. So Walter's like, give me the gun, let me do it. She's like, okay. So she hands what she thinks is her grandfather the shotgun, and he immediately shoots her in the ch- in the stomach. Don't ring that bell yet. Ring it for Walter, though, because then he takes it and shoots himself in the face. Ugh. Body count number five, Walter. I guess death is better than the sunken place, Trent. I guess so. And I do need to mention, so you're calling it a shotgun. It's actually a bolt-action rifle. Just a little bit just a little okay, bit. Okay, I'm not a gun expert. I'm sorry. It's it looks like a shotgun. <laughs> it's like a 30 out six. Okay. Re- <laughs> regardless. Um hey, you corrected me in the past on little things. I just had to correct that. Okay. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> it's all getting edited out. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. There no one go. corrects me on my show. <laughs> Full creative control. <laughs> so uh, Rose now bleeding out just like Chris's mom and Chris crawls over and she's like, I'm so sorry, baby. I love you. It was all just a misunderstanding. And Chris is like, Nope. Ain't trying to hear that. So he takes his hands and he wraps them around her neck and he begins to strangle her. But then all of a sudden we see her start to smile and Chris lets go. He just, he's just not that kind of guy. He can't bring himself to do it, even though she deserves it. Yes, she completely deserves it. Um, again, Rose, you are super creepy. She's like smiling as she's the lights are about to go out. Um, and then yeah. as Chris is laying over her, her prone body, here come the police lights. And Chris is like, damn it. But then we find out it's not the cops. It's the TSA security. It's Rod. <laughs> It's Rod in his TSA car. I don't know if you can borrow those to drive that far, but who cares at this point? Um, Rod to the rescue, man. So uh, Chris gets in the car with Rod. They drive away. And Rod's like, I told you not to go in that house. <laughs> and then Chris wants to know, how did you find me anyway? And Rod, in more comf- in uh, more colorful language than I'm willing to share, says, <laughs> I'm TSA. It's what we do. Yes. Great line. We see Rose bleeding out again, just like how Chris's mother died. And we get one last shot of the car driving away. And credits roll. Ah, got to add one more thing here, though. Uh, 
You see, there was a surgery in progress, and uh, considering the way we left the house, let's go ahead and ring that bell one more time, because there's no way Jim Hudson survived. Oh, wow. So that's body count number six. Jim, yeah, dude, great catch, because I haven't even considered him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Between, definitely... you know, the, the scalping and the house being on fire, he's definitely dead. Now, we yeah, can't ring the dead. bell for Rose. He doesn't quite take her last breath before credits roll. But we can count Jim as a victim, and that gives us a final body count of six. Dude, genius, genius thought, because I didn't even count Jim in there. But, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's under heavy anesthesia. There's smoke. I mean, he's definitely not making it out of there. Yes. Now, Graham, were you aware that there is an alternate ending to this film? And did you perchance watch that alternate ending? I didn't watch the alternate ending. I do have it in my bloody bits, but um, yeah, go for it, man. Now, I did watch that alternate ending. And so let me describe the scene to you. I, actually, actually, let me, let me take a step back. Before I describe the alternate ending, let me ask you a question, Graham. Was this a happy ending? Absolutely, this is a happy ending. Um, Rod gets his boy Chris. They drive away. I mean, game over, man. They got out. Get out. <laughs> Very much played as a happy ending. They're celebrating. Birds are chirping. Everything's happy, right? Mm -hmm. But let's really think about the situation. Rod has already told the police, hey, man, my buddy Chris is at the Armitage house. Chris tried to call the cops from there as he was getting away, and there's a whole mess of bodies left in his wake. There's going to be Ooh, a whole of an investigation, and the only person still standing is Chris. Yeah. So is this really a happy ending? Because, you see, Chris is about to spend a whole hell of a lot of time in court. <laughs> Probably. And, you know, if you think about it, if that, if that house goes up, um, there's, no there's not going to be there's a lot no, of evidence left. Yeah, there's no proof. Um, and that brings us to the alternate ending. Because you see, the alternate ending, we pick up everything's the same. Walter has just shot himself and shot Rose. So he's bleeding out. Chris can't bring himself to strangle her. And then the cop car pulls up. But this time, it's not Rod. It is actually the police. And Chris is arrested. And then we cut to a scene. Chris is now in jail. Rod has come to visit him. And Rod's like, look, man. You need to remember some names or something like we're having a very hard time proving your case. And Chris says, you know what? I'm good. I stopped it. It's over. And he just slowly walks away. And that would be where credits roll. All right. Well, yeah, I did have that written down. <laughs> I didn't see it. So my uh, little paraphrasing was the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's just a lot of commentary on, you know, police dealing with black men in America, right? Um, I, I mean, to be fair. Yes, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, um, if anyone <laughs> left a pile of five bodies behind them and they were the only person left standing, there would be lots of questions regardless of what color your skin was. Yeah, that's definitely true. But, um, you know, knowing kind of what Jordan Peele me meant by it, um, yeah, absolutely. That, especially because the, the the cop pulls up as he's like over Rose, kind of right after yes. he was strangling her with his hands on her. Yeah, doesn't look good at all for at Chris. All. Um, yeah, this well-to-do white family, um, 
yeah. So anyway, the evidence was, it. you're right. It would probably look bad no matter who it yeah. was. But um, so, so, I mean, even if we take the original ending, I still don't think, I still don't think this is a happy ending. I, I think, I think Chris is going to be spending some time in jail. A lot of it, as a matter of fact, regardless of which ending we're dealing with. Yeah, and that's interesting um, because he ended up changing the ending to be a "quote unquote" happy ending. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you if you kind of think about what could happen next, um, definitely kind of leaves it up in the air. And what are you are you a fan? So Stephanie and I have this conversation all the time. She likes finite, definitive endings to movies. Doesn't matter what genre it is, right? She wants to know how it ends. Like the couple does get together at the end. Um, they, the hero does win, uh, the bad guys lose kind of thing. Um, I do enjoy movies that are open for interpretation, kind of like this one, um, a little bit. So what are your thoughts on that? To me, it's a case by case basis. I think if as a filmmaker, you are intentionally going to leave your film as an open question, you have to have earned that. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. Last year, and I do mean last year, uh, 2020, before the pandemic, there was a horror movie that came out called The Turning. You may remember the, the previews. It starred one of the kids from uh, Stranger Things. Yeah. Anyway, it was based on a uh, novella from the 1800s called The Turn of the Screw. Anyway, this movie, The Turning, I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but to say that it ends with a very ambiguous ending. And I cannot remember being more furious sitting in a movie theater than I was in January 2020 when I saw The Turning because it had not earned that ambiguousness. Right. So, no, I totally get I think, yeah, I think there's a, it's definitely a case-by-case basis depending on, you know, how, how it's earned. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I enjoyed this ending. I, I like the fact that in my mind, see, I'm not even going that far. I, in my mind, all is good. Rod, Chris, I mean, it, off it's, it's very much, it's <laughs> very much played as a very happy ending, but I just can't help but think about what comes next. Yeah. And they're trying to make this a franchise. I mean, Jordan Peele has stated publicly that he's like the studio immediately came to him. We're going to talk about the box office here in a second, or we can just jump into it right now. Yeah. Well, um, we might as well. Yeah, so $4.5 million budget, as you know, that's nothing. <laughs> Which, to be fair, not that uncommon for horror movies to have these low budgets. But how True. about the return on investment, Graham? Because that was a little unusual. Yeah, this movie just skyrocketed, um, became such a huge part of um, the public um Yeah, pop culture. I don't even know. Like it was just it was huge. Um ended up grossing a total of 255 more than 255 million at the box office on a four and a half million dollar budget i think i said that uh, i saw i read that they accounted that the total profit was around 124 to 130 million and that's after like yeah all the um all the advertisements and marketing and i guess yeah. the cost of of everything so hugely profitable hugely profitable um yeah, I have a bloody bit on this. The film yeah, stayed let's, let's in the it. yeah. The film stayed in the U.S. box office top ten for its first two months of release. That does not happen anymore. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, back in the day, you might remember um, movies would stay at the at the theater for months, right? Yes. Um, now 
that's you know, not the case unless it's huge. Home Alone, which is a Christmas movie, was literally like in the top ten until like May because yeah. of how big of a hit it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, things like Titanic was was sticking around the box office for yeah. for months and months. Titanic, which grossed like over seven hundred million dollars domestically, had an opening weekend of like twenty five million. Just for perspective, <laughs> that's that's how long it was relevant. You like you just start doing the math. Think about how many weeks it takes when you're starting from 25 to get to 700. Yeah, so this movie was a huge hit um, at the box office and with critics. Um, and I, this is where I want you to plug uh, the Rotten Tomato score. If you got it. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of critics, Graham, if you had to guess the tomato meter, what do you think it would have to say? Okay, so I got spoiled on this. Oh, um, cheater! Okay, I didn't actually see the final one, okay. but I did get spoiled, so like... Um, it was the best rated film of 2017 or of 2017 on Rotten Tomatoes. I think at one point it had like a hundred, um, but it had to settle down. So I'm going to go with like a 97, 98, something like that. With 392 reviews, Get Out is 98% fresh. Dude, monster. <laughs> yeah. How about the audience score? What do you think the, the people thought of this movie? I mean, it's going to be hard to beat 98%. So, um, I don't know. I'll go in like the 70s. With over 50,000 reviews, Get Out has an audience score of 86%. Wow. So, just just universally well-received. Very, very, very <laughs> nice movie, yes. So, uh, Graham, how about we talk about the cast, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Let's jump right in. So our lead character, played by Daniel Kaluuya, is Chris Washington. How did you think uh, Mr. Kaluuya's performance? Oh, I thought he was great, man. Um, So I had read, kind of doing my research and stuff, when he auditioned for the role, they gave it to him. Jordan Peele gave it to him on the spot because um, in the audition process, he he was playing an emotional scene and he did five different takes. And they said that that single tear rolled down his face at the exact same moment in all five takes. And they were like, this guy gets the part. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought, I mean, honestly, he doesn't say a ton during a lot of this, right? He's just kind of sitting there quietly observing, um, at the beginning at least. But um, his facial expressions, everything, I thought he killed it. And he was nominated for an Oscar, like you said. And the Golden Globe. He was nominated for for Best Actor at the Academy Awards uh, for this film. Uh, Did not win, but he was nominated for Best Actor. And it really, it's kind of hard to argue with that. I mean, such a... (sighs) Dynamic's not the right word for it. But it felt like he was always in control of what was happening. Yeah, it was very well done. Um, He's actually British, which is pretty interesting. Um, all those Brits coming over here taking our acting jobs, <laughs> but no, he was uh, he was fantastic, and yeah, the the range of emotion that he that he was able to get there, um, yeah, really jumped off the screen for me. So then our second lead, Allison Williams playing Rose Armitage. Okay, so this was her feature film debut, which is kind of hard to believe. Um, she had, uh, I think, she was best known for the show Girls, um, something I hadn't seen. Um, but like you mentioned earlier, the son of the, Brian Williams, who I used to really, really enjoy his um, news commentary. I haven't, haven't seen a lot of him lately, but... Um, 
Well, he may have gotten into trouble for falsifying <laughs> one of his reports. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, okay, so she's a psycho, and so I thought she was also excellent. Yes, because she plays the first, what, 70% of the movie straight, and yeah. then when she turns heel, she turns heel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were. I was super convinced that, um, you know, she's on Chris's side this whole time. You know, she's, she's appalled by the way that these people are yeah. kind of treating him, um, and it seems so genuine. Um, and then when she flips that switch, like you when said, she, yeah, she, when she's standing on the staircase, like, you know, I can't give you the keys, right? Yeah. I was it's like, such oh, a great man. moment. And none of that, like to her credit, like seemed forced at all. Like it was just really good acting on this. So then uh, let's talk about her family. We got Bradley Whitford as Dean Armitage. Uh, we've got Catherine Keener as Missy Armitage and Caleb Landry Jones as Jeremy Armitage. Yeah. All great. I mean, everybody in this cast, in my opinion, really, really killed it all the way down um, to even Georgina and Walter. But Bradley Whitford, um, probably for us growing up, best known for um, Billy Madison, right? (laughs) I would say so, yeah. But to other people, um, he was really great in the West Wing. Um, One of the reasons why he was cast. Um, Yeah, Bradley Whitford killed it. Uh, Catherine Keener, I know her best from 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, she was great. And Caleb Landy Jones, who I haven't seen in a lot of things, but um, yeah, I, I definitely lo- disliked him. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really familiar with much of his work. Uh, for Bradley Whitford, I would say he actually was one of the leads in uh, one of my favorite underrated TV series. It only lasted one season. Uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip with Matthew Perry and Amanda Pete. I really enjoyed that show, but it only lasted one year. Um, yeah, and that's another Aaron Sorkin, uh, much like The West Wing, yes. which came after The West Wing. So yeah, um, they uh, were re-collaborated. Too bad that didn't make it, because I have heard really, really good things about Studio 60. Yes, and he also, uh, Bradley Whitford, I should say, also had a very prominent role in a film that I'm sure we're also probably going to review sometime, The Cabin in the Woods, uh, which I quite Ooh. enjoyed. Yes, great movie. But then, yeah, uh, so he was great. I mean, I mean, the, the whole ensemble, like everybody hits their parts to perfection. Um, so j- just great there. And then, I mean, we got to talk about Laurel Howery. Just an unbelievable performance here. Yes. Just he is so every, good. He... every time he's on screen, it just lights up the, the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I even put in my notes, like he's he's a scene stealer uh, or a scene stealer right here. Um just super funny, great comedic timing. I mean, you're you're kind of going through. He's to me, he's he's being a, he's an outlet for like your the audience's emotions. You know what I mean? Because yes. he's questioning everything, and you're just like right there with him. Like, <laughs> yes, I'm not the only one who thinks that there is a lot of crazy stuff going on. So, um, yeah, he he was he was fantastic as well. So, like you said, up and down, just really well done. Now, before we get to Jordan Peele, I should mention we spent a great deal of time talking about uh, Jason Blum on our Insidious podcast. And wouldn't mm-hmm. you know, this is a Blumhouse picture. Yeah. Um, like you, yeah, like you mentioned before, kind of, kind of stuff in Blumhouse. I don't know, was this, so this was 2017 and I know it's taken off quite a bit. Yes. Um, was this one of the earlier ones that like gave them mega success? I mean, yeah, this was... They'd already had a couple of hits, but 
this kind of really, uh, really got the ball uh, rolling for them. Yeah. Yeah. I also read that this was the first movie by um, Universal, I guess, um, as one of the production companies, or I guess the big studio to be nominated. This was the first uh, movie to be nominated for best picture since a beautiful mind for them. So very interesting. So it is that point. It is time to talk about the man behind the camera lens, Jordan Peele. That's right. He of Key and Peele, Comedy Central fame, directed this movie. And wrote it. And wrote it. How? How did this happen? Well, obviously, the guy has mega talent. Um, you watch, did you watch Key and Peele? Yes. Yeah, Key and Peele, hilarious, dude. Um, gotta love that comedy duo. Sketch shows are kind of hard to do, in my opinion, so I think they nailed it with that. But, dude, I don't know. This totally, I think this took everybody by surprise, um, maybe including Jordan Peele, honestly. Yeah, abs- I mean, he's talked about, you know, he grew up as a fan of horror, and he's actually, I, I saw he compared horror and comedy and said their they're, they're backs are more similar than you think because they're both all about pacing. So that's mm. kind of interesting. And yeah. true when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So in my kind of uh, little notes here about what I thought of the film, I, I, I wrote that the tension building in this movie is yes. so well done. So I mean, we know things are off. We know it. But we don't know how until that big reveal in, in the final act. Um, so you got to be able, you got to praise Peel for building that suspense so well, not getting over, over hasty. We had that little scene at the beginning before we see the opening credits to kind of set us up. But the the tension building was so well done. Yeah, I mean, just have to give him all the credit in the world. I mean, like like you said, and, and like like he even said, it's all about the pacing. This movie is so well paced; it builds and builds and builds and builds to its climax. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, hats off. Um, he ended up winning the Oscar for best original screenplay. I think that was well deserved. Um, I mean, this movie was. Let me look at the IMDb here. Um, I mean, 148 wins and 203 nominations. I mean, just um, pretty much anything and everything that he could have been nominated for, uh, it was. And a lot of those were directly for Jordan Peele. So from here, he would go on to, we mentioned it earlier, he rebooted the Twilight Zone as part of, well, it was CBS All Access. It is now known as Paramount+. Plus. And he also had a second horror film come out called Us, which was also very creepy, and we may get to one day. Yeah, Us, um, really, really good follow-up to Get Out. Um, Really, really good film there, too. So, Graham, do you have any other bloody bits or thoughts on Get Out before we look to our next episode? You know, I just got to say, this movie is so, so, so good. If you haven't seen it by now, what are you doing? Um, immediately go watch this one. Um, yeah. But I feel like you have seen it if you're listening to this, hopefully. Yeah. Um, like I said, dude, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Like, this is just, he really draws you in. Jordan Peele does. Uh, acting fantastic. Writing is really, really good. Um, as for my buddy bits, um, I think I mentioned them. There aren't, a, there aren't a ton of, like, bloody bits about this that, that um, kind of don't involve um, commentary directly from Jordan right. Peele. So if you, if you can get, if you can get your hands on like 
uh, Blu-ray or with the with the DVD commentary and stuff. Yeah, I would suggest doing that to get a better insight. Um, it was the highest-grossing de- debut film based on an original screenplay, as of its 2017 release, which is interesting. Um, Another one, domestically, so this is mostly about box office. So domestically, the film became the highest grossing debut horror film based on original screenplay with 176 million, dethroning the Blair Witch Project. That's pretty good. That's a uh, that's good. all-time classic right there. Um, yeah, and I think it was beaten just, uh, I think it was beaten a little bit later by um, A Quiet Place. So. Yes, by John Krasinski. Um, yeah. So as for me, my final thoughts... Um, just to pull the curtain back a little bit here, we are recording this episode on Tuesday. We are about an hour or so, uh, past the announcement of the Derek Chauvin verdict. So as much as we pick this film to be timely because it coincided with the Academy Awards, it's also kind of timely in terms of the news cycle and what we've seen going on lately. So again, if you haven't seen this film or, you know, you've heard some things about it and the topic makes you uncomfortable. I would strongly suggest giving it a shot. Just, you know, just thinking about things yourself and, you know, figuring out where you land, but uh, you know, that's up to each individual. So I don't want to go too, too far down that road. Um, but it's just a good movie. Um, yeah. Just, just plain, plain good movie. And um, yeah, a lot of social commentary that are, that are, I don't even think hidden in there. They're they're pretty upfront. No, but, yeah, um, yeah. We're not talking about subtext. We're talking about text here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, extremely well done, and good for him for making it. All right. So with that in mind, let's take a gander at our next episode, shall we? The yeah, next time we come to you, it will be May seventh. So, gosh, already into May, Frank. Um, May fourteenth sees the release of a reboot of a long-running horror franchise when Spiral is released. Spiral being the reboot of Saw. So, your first of three options this time, Graham, is going to be the original Saw film. Nice. My buddy Mark um, was just uh, texting me last week that he was re-watching I don't know of all the Saw films, but a lot of the Saw films. So would love to would love to see that one again. So that's option number one. Option number two came out in May of 2006, 15 years ago. And it's a bit of a different one. It's a slasher film. See No Evil, starring professional wrestler Kane. That's right. The Undertaker's brother made a horror movie. It came out 15 years ago, produced by Lionsgate. And, you know, it made 18 million bucks at the box office. It, uh, you know, did a little bit of business. So that's option number two. Okay. (laughs) Graham, not too enthused with that one. (laughs) I'll admit, I had a hard time coming up with options here. (laughs) The third option from 2015, Poltergeist, the reboot, was also released in May. And again, this is the reboot from 2015, not the original. Okay, I've seen the original a number of times, never bothered to see the reboot. Um, But I'd be intrigued to see it. Did you see it? I have not seen it. Uh, Produced by Sam Raimi, by the way. Okay, um, yeah, Evil Dead, yeah, Spider-Man. 
I'm looking at the cast. It's not exactly a bunch of known actors. Um, the director, Gil Keenan, is someone I'm not familiar with either. But there you go. Those are your three options. Is it a modern take on on the original one? Or is it going to get sucked into a flat screen? <laughs> all I can tell you is, a, is that it was a remake from 2015. Like I said, I had a hard time coming up with options here. So and you get sucked right into a 70-inch flat screen. <laughs> so once again, your three choices. Saw, the original, in honor of Spiral coming out. See No Evil, starring Kane. And Poltergeist, the 2015 reboot. Okay, I think you know where I'm going with this one, right? See No Evil, of course. <laughs> We're seeing Saw, ladies and gentlemen. Can't wait to rewatch this one. Um, yeah, I remember <laughs> getting a like bootleg copy of this on DVD back when <laughs> people used to do that. Remember that? People would like burn yes. DVDs for people. Um, and loved it. Um, thought it was super creepy. Um, I was in high school when that came out. So yeah, can't wait to rewatch it. So there you go, folks. May 7th. Straight from our mouths to your earbuds, we're going to be reviewing Saw. So with that in mind, Graham, uh, why don't you tell everybody about our social media? Yes. Um, Grant, we're almost we're right about 500. I think we're going to hit 500 this week. So thank you guys for, for liking the page. Um, we're trying to turn those 500 followers into 500 listeners. So um, let's, let's get that going. But yeah, you can follow us at Body Count Show on Instagram. Uh, we share screen sh- screen caps of the movies that we uh, that we review, uh, movie posters. Uh, hopefully, some we'll get some more interesting comment or content out um, in between as well. But yeah, you can find us at Body Count, Body Count Show on Instagram. Thanks, you guys, for uh, for following the page, liking, sharing, all that good stuff. And, and just throwing this out there, folks. Like, we'd love to be more interactive, and you know. Maybe instead of you know Graham getting to, to choose our next film, maybe maybe someday we throw a, a poll up there. Um, yep. But that's going to be up to you guys. Is that something you're interested in? You know, you, you got to let us know. You got to be interactive with us, or you know, we we're gonna not not know what you guys want. So for now, I think that's going to do it for this episode, Graham. Yeah, that's going to do it for uh, the Body Couch podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in with us. Um, Had a great time with you, Trent, reviewing Get Out. And I can't wait to review Saw next time on Body Couch.